Hi gang, thanks for downloading this classic episode of News Fighters. Just a reminder, if you're looking for new original episodes of News Fighters, they're now over on the Irrational Fear podcast feed. So search for Irrational Fear on your podcasting app or go to irrationalfear.com for all new episodes of News Fighters. In the meantime, enjoy this classic News Fighters episode. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Sandspants Radio, Australia's most cowardly podcast network. This is News Fighters. Where we fight the news so you don't have to. With Dylan Behan. Yes, hello, fighters. Welcome to the News Fighters podcast, where we usually recap the week in Australian news, politics and media with me, Dylan Bain. I'm off on holidays this week, but I thought I'd replay some stuff that you may have missed. Uh, Stick around because later on I'm interviewing uh, Tom Ballard uh, from last January, where we talked about his current Melbourne Comedy Festival show, We Are All In This which is on at the Melbourne Town Hall until April 18th, and then uh, on in Sydney, May 7th and 8th. So uh, go along and check it out and support Tom. But first up, I'm replaying a deep dive from February, where I recapped Australia's first year of COVID, all the things we got right and all the things we got wrong, and ultimately, why we should really be thanking the premiers and not the Prime Minister for getting us through the pandemic So well so far, fingers crossed as always. I'm really proud of it. I hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with a new episode next week about whatever the hell's happened. Uh, Until then, uh, enjoy the show. And here is Australia's Year in COVID. Okay, now I'm not sure if you've been paying any attention to the news lately, but there's been this thing called the coronavirus. It's been a very big deal. And this week marks a year since it got its official name. The deadly strain that's now responsible for more than 1,100 deaths, mainly in China, has been given an official name. COVID-19. 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 The name is a contraction of Coronavirus Disease 2019. Yes, hard to believe that before that we just referred to it as SARS-2 electric booger flu. Okay, so to... Well, okay, celebrate's the wrong word. To, to mark the occasion of the first anniversary of COVID-19, I thought it might be a good time on this episode to look back on a year of predictions about the pandemic uh, and see what the media, health officials and politicians got right and what they got wrong. Anyways, let's start by going all the way back 
to the very beginning. Over my summer holidays, I went through my vast news recordings collection, and I think I managed to find the very first mention of the coronavirus on Australian TV. Now, this clip is from the ABC News Channel. It was during the day on January 10th, 2020. Now, as we watch it, let's uh, see what they got right and what they got wrong as we play along with my new favourite game, Pandemic Predictions. The World Health Organization says a mysterious new virus detected in the Chinese city of Wuhan is likely to be from the same family that produced the deadly SARS and MERS outbreaks. The virus has been identified as a coronavirus in some of the affected cases. There's still a lot of work being done to try to work out exactly what this coronavirus strain is. It doesn't appear at this stage to have had any of the um, concerns about there being any person-to-person transmission of this virus and there also doesn't appear to be any mortality linked to any of the cases that have been affected by the virus. Oh, so close. Yes, the ABC they're receiving negative one point with its January the 10th coronavirus predictions. Now, the very next mention I could find was from SBS World News two nights later on January the 12th. Let's see how they went. Perhaps the single most reassuring fact about this outbreak is that there is no evidence yet that the new virus has spread from one person to another, say Chinese officials. But just how fast is the new virus spreading? So far, not very, say Chinese officials. While there have been over 40 cases in December, medics haven't seen cases rise since. Yes, SBS World News receiving negative three points there. Oh, how little did they know? Now, uh, believe it or not, the very next mention I could find uh, on Australian TV was until a week later on the breakfast TV show Sunrise, of all places. Now, have a look and uh, tell me if you think they placed the coronavirus story in the right position in the news lineup here. Have a look. There are fears a deadly illness could soon hit Bali after a second case was reported in Thailand. The mysterious SARS-linked virus has already claimed two lives in China following a breakout in Wuhan. Indonesian authorities are now screening all visitors who enter the country. A remarkable video of a toddler riding a hoverboard has sparked fierce debate online. Oh, yes, I would have loved to have been at the Sunrise Rundown meeting that morning. Uh, So do you think we should put the kid riding the hoverboard before or after the deadly mystery illness? What, What do you guys think? Yeah, end on the hoverboard story? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yes, the Sunrise hosts did show some concern, at least for their holiday plans. Fairly frightening turn of events there, but something we'll be keeping across. I know, just terrifying. another thing for you and I to be paranoid about. Mm. Health wise. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I've scrapped barley off my travel <laughs> to-do list this Add it year. to the paranoia list. <laughs> Why do the Sunrise hosts have a paranoia list? Why are they paranoid all the time? Are they just sitting around smoking bongs with Koshi and getting paranoid? Did you see the kid on the hoverboard? Crazy man. It wasn't long before daily government press conferences made TV celebrities out of our public health officials. They became as big as MasterChef hosts, but with better hygiene practices and less wage scandals. Uh, Now, here's one of the first times we saw uh, Chief Medical Officer Dr. Brendan Murphy on our screens. Uh, This is on January the 28th. Now, join us and play along as we play Predict the Pandemic with him. 
main message that we're trying to give still to the Australian public is that, that there is no cause for concern in the Australian public. There is no human-to-human transmission of this virus. And it's important to note, because we've had some media about masks today, there is no need for the Australian public to wear masks. The medical advice and the World Health Organisation advice is that that's complete travel bans are not an effective additional measure. All of the previous experience with these coronaviruses is that people are only infectious when they're symptomatic. Oh, jeez. Chief Medical Officer Brennan Murphy there on January the 28th, 2020, getting minus five on Predict the Pandemic. And oh, just imagine if, like, say, the Chief of the Army was that wrong on the eve of a, a major battle. Oh, guys, there's, there's no risk of the enemy's bullets killing us. There's no need to wear that bulletproof armour. The guns don't even shoot real bullets. Look, it's very weird to look back on how little we knew at the time and, and how naive we were. Uh, and indeed, how overly confident we were in our own self-containment measures. Here's uh, Dr. Brendan Murphy again uh, on April 24, basically bragging about our hotel quarantine system. Because we are now quarantining formally uh, every return traveller, the opportunity for a return traveller to infect locals is essentially zero. Uh Okay, now let's check in two months later with Victoria and see how that hotel quarantine system went. At least 50 cases can be traced back to the quarantine hotels where security staff broke the rules. Of course, we all sadly remember how Victoria's second wave spiralled out of control from there. A week later on July 6th, Victoria had 127 cases. Uh, across the border in New South Wales, they had only 10. And luckily, that's when the interstate borders went up. Good evening. First tonight, we are about to take an extraordinary new step in the battle to stop Victoria's second wave of COVID-19 from hitting New South Wales. From midnight tonight, the border between the two states will close. Victorians are now effectively living on an island, cut off from every state and territory in the country. Yeah, I mean, Wodonga really wasn't worth visiting before you needed a permit. Now it was really not on my list. And then, less than a month later, on the 2nd of August, the daily numbers in Victoria had sadly increased fivefold. The state reported 671 new cases overnight. New South Wales recorded another 12 infections. Of course, it seems obvious with hindsight that uh, the closing of the borders is really what stopped the second wave escaping uh, out of Victoria. And luckily, the other states were not subjected to the hundreds of deaths or the 111-day lockdown that Victoria had to endure. And so a month later, on September the 3rd, a day in which Victoria recorded 113 new cases, what did Scott Morrison call for? That's right, the borders to reopen. Australia was not meant to be closed. Australia was meant to be open, Mr Speaker. Australia must become whole again, Mr Speaker. Jeez, it's good we didn't listen to that guy. Look, obviously, advice was going to change throughout the course of the pandemic. Like in April, when Scott Morrison told us not to wear masks. On the wearing of masks, the uh, medical expert panel, uh, we accepted their advice that it is not recommended by the expert panel uh, that they are necessary to be, to be worn. And importantly, it's important to note that the wearing of such a mask uh, does not protect you from infection. But if you are uh, displaying uh, respiratory symptoms, then it is... Uh, 
at, at, at best a measure that prevents you transferring it to others. Jeez, it's good we didn't listen to that guy. That advice was a bit like saying men don't have to wear condoms because there's no chance they'll get pregnant. On the same day he said that, April 24th, which was when we were still emerging from the first wave, Scott Morrison also decided this was a good time to call for aged care to open up. Aged care homes have been given an ultimatum to relax strict rules against family visitors or be forced to. The PM issuing this warning. We are not going to have these as secret places. Uh, where people can't access them, they must. And we want to make sure that these facilities are open to their loved ones to, to be able to go and visit and to continue to go and engage with them. Jeez, it's good we didn't listen to that guy. Because you know what was on the news the exact same day? A 96-year-old woman has died at the Newmarch House in Western Sydney, the fifth death at the aged care home. Yeah, that's right. Scott Morrison was calling for aged care homes to be opened up at the exact same time as the Newmarch House outbreak was well on its way to becoming probably the most deadly outbreak in New South Wales, with 19 residents losing their lives, almost a third of New South Wales COVID deaths to date. And it didn't stop there. At the same press conference on April the 24th, Scott Morrison insisted that schools were safe to reopen without social distancing. Which is ironic, because I thought the Liberals hated safe schools. In other news, the Prime Minister insists social distancing rules don't apply in school classrooms. He hit out, all but telling those who want social distancing in classrooms to back off. The four square metre rule and the 1.5 metre distancing between students during classroom activities is not appropriate and not required. I can't be more clear than that. Oh, hey, and speaking of bad advice, remember when Scott Morrison told us the best way to stop the pandemic was to download an app to our phones? The federal government has launched its contact tracing app, which it insists is crucial to control the spread of the disease. Download the app. That is Australia's ticket. Download the COVID Safe app. Download the app today. Download the COVID Safe app. Downloading the app. Download it. Okay, how did that go? Labor says the app is a failure after it picked up just 17 contacts. $17 million has been spent tracing just 17 people, not found by contact tracing teams. That's such bad value for money, even the people behind Quibi were like, nah, that's too expensive. Even our Reno 911 reboot got like 19 people watching. Only on Quibi. Yeah, and geez, it's good we didn't listen to Scott Morrison on lockdowns either. We can't expect there to be no cases. That's not success. Because what success is, is that we live alongside the virus. We deal with the challenges that come along. We keep opening up the economy. But as long as we are closed, we cannot, we cannot claim success as a country. If we are shut, we are not living alongside the virus. The virus is actually keeping us from living. That demonstrates, I think, in New South Wales how effectively your states can respond uh, to this. And the best protection against the virus, to live with the virus, to live alongside the virus, and to open up your economy. Uh, you don't protect your economy by continually shutting things down. Since then, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth and Sydney's northern beaches all endured uh, some short, sharp lockdowns by their premiers to uh, stop the virus spreading. And it worked which predictably meant that the PM stated last week that of course he's always been in favour of these lockdowns. Right from the outset of this pandemic, it had always been my view that localised lockdowns were a good way 
to suppress the virus and its spread through metropolitan areas. Look, of course, a lot of things have changed over the past year as new information and strategies have come to hand, including our entire overall strategy. When the pandemic first hit in March and April, we adopted a strict suppression strategy, basically trying to flatten the curve to make sure there was enough capacity with hospitals and ICU beds. Eliminating the virus is not considered an option. The task instead, managing the infection so that those who need intensive care can get it. But then in July, after the Melbourne outbreak, uh, it subtly changed. A meeting of National Cabinet reaffirming Australia's suppression strategy with the ultimate aim of no community transmission. The National Cabinet's position has always been um, an, an aggressive su- suppression strategy and that, that remains our view and it's certainly the view of my government. The goal of that is obviously and has always been no community transmission. Now, how this is different from New Zealand's elimination strategy, I'm not sure. But we didn't want it to sound like we were copying New Zealand because God knows we already have enough fights about the ownership of Crowded House Pavlova and Flat Whites. Elimination doesn't mean zero cases. It means zero tolerance for cases. It means when a case emerges, and it will, We test, we contact trace, we isolate, and we do that every single time with the ambition that when we see COVID, we eliminate it. And look, in my opinion, I'm not a scientist or immunologist, I'm just a hobo with a podcast, but this change of strategy from suppression to basically elimination with a slightly different name has really served Australia well. I mean, look at Canada. They're still going under a suppression strategy, for instance, but they've allowed thousands of cases per day. And it's resulted in over 20,000 deaths, over 20 times um, the number in Australia, despite them having a very similar population size. And on top of that, The big cities have had to endure painfully long second lockdowns and curfews resulting in the the closure of lots of small businesses. Toronto locked down longer than anywhere else in North America. More than 20,000 Canadians have lost their lives to COVID-19. It's the absolute worst of all worlds. It's like if Justin Bieber and Celine Dion and Nickelback were all touring together. It's the absolute worst thing you can think of. Look, there's no doubt that Australia's response to COVID-19 over the past year is absolutely world-beating and something that we should all be proud of. What success is, is that we live alongside the virus. Not you. Look, Scott Morrison is going to try and spin it as if it's all his doing and take all the credit for it heading into the next federal election. But ultimately... I think it was more a result of our state premiers taking action. I mean, let's not forget that it was the state premiers that basically shirt-fronted the PM into us having our first national lockdown back in March by leaking their plans to journalists in the middle of the Prime Minister's press conference right before they were due to have a national cabinet meeting. Received the text message saying we've just broken the news that New South Wales and Victoria are pushing for a total shutdown of all non-essential business, so a statewide lockdown and school closures from Tuesday. It's fair to say that Scott Morrison was completely blindsided by those announcements. We have New South Wales and Victoria pushing behind the scenes. And it's hard for the Prime Minister to look like a leader when the states start to go it alone. But ultimately, I think our impressive pandemic response has largely been a result of the state premiers competing against each other for who could have the lowest case numbers in the safest state and happily sledging each other about it the whole time. Interstate rivalries intensify as the relationship between the New South Wales and Queensland premiers hits a new low. 
we'll just let New South Wales be New South Wales. She is now the victim of a policy that she put in place herself. Uh, I just urge the New South Wales government and people in New South Wales are to look outside of New South Wales at what other states and territories are doing in order to crush and kill the virus. It was kind of like rugby league state of origin, except with all the states competing, a few less concussions, but as usual, ignored by the entire world's media. So in conclusion, geez, it's good the state premiers didn't listen to this guy. You don't protect your economy by continually shutting things down. Australia was not meant to be closed. Australia was meant to be open. We can't expect there to be no cases. That's not success. Welcome to News Fighters. Joining me now is my old boss and host of Tonightly with Tom Ballard. Tom Ballard, how are you, Tom? Hello, very well, thank you. Great to see you go on to bigger and better things. <laughs> I'm proud of you, man. I always believed in you. Thank you very much. <laughs> how was your 2020? If we look back, this is the first episode of 2021. How was your How was your 2020, Tom? It was great. I don't really follow the news, so yeah, I just had a great time. <laughs> Just hanging out with friends and family and eating bats and leaving the house on a regular basis. Um, no, it was, uh, it was generally awful. I was going to move to the UK and become a big star over there and appear on their uh, million panel shows and um, get a Netflix special and, uh, and be the next Adam Hills. And so that's all off. Um, obviously, you know, watching society collapse, uh, watch Bernie Sanders lose, watch a deadly disease kill millions of people. Uh, it was bad. I did fall in love, though. I got a really hot boyfriend. Congratulations. Um, thank you. We spent a lot of time together. So that, you know, it swings around about. So I reckon I that probably evens out. Now, were you, were you locked down? or was Because Melbourne, I don't even think you're allowed to have... You had to, you had to move in together, didn't you? If you wanted to hang out together, pretty much, wasn't <laughs> no, that the rule? No, no visitors. There was a period where it wasn't. Yeah, you could. Where we, there was a fear that we wouldn't be able to leave the house to do that, but then they allowed exemptions for intimate partners. Woohoo! And uh, we were, uh, we were pretty intimate. Don't was that a, that. was that a conversation? Because you're, I assume you're only allowed to have one, or is, or is, is, is dictator Dan open to polyamory with this? <laughs> Yeah, it's socialist Victoria, man. Yeah. We're all in a polycule. <laughs> We're all genderqueer trans uni students fucking each other's brains out. It's great. Um, no, yes, we went back and forth towards each other's uh, houses for, for quite a bit. Um, and, uh, yeah, it really amplified the uh, fast track to the relationship very quickly, I guess, being, uh, being locked down and going through a pandemic. I'd really recommend it to anybody out there. Uh, now, as someone who lived through the Melbourne lockdown, we've just had our own lockdown in Sydney, the, the Northern Beaches lockdown. Uh, oh, which, did you? Oh, uh, how, I, no, I wasn't, I wasn't was in it. Was it hard? Or did you? How'd you go? Were you okay? Well, that's, that's, I was worried about you. All right? People on the Northern Beaches were like, oh, no, people don't come here. That would be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they probably love over, it. Yeah, they're like summer. a gated community. They fucking love it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Tony Abbott famously didn't want trains to go to the northern beaches. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, everyone stay away. Yes, he loves being in his car. Loves it. <laughs> um, I have maintained that, you know, coronavirus getting Peter Dutton, Jair Bolsonaro, Donald Trump, Boris Johnson, Elon Musk, Prince Charles... It's the most effective left-wing activist that, that we've uh, had 
for a very long time and getting the northern shore of Sydney. I mean, I just, I think Comrade Corona knows what's up and it's picking its targets very well. So, so congrats. And um, what have you been up to this year during the lockdown? I hear you've been doing a lot of, a lot of writing. Are we going to have some, some projects flowering this year in 2021? <laughs> In theory, if I can finish this goddamn book, I had so much time, Dylan. I, was given, I managed to get a, a book deal. I had literally nothing else to do in my life. Still managed to procrastinate and still desperately trying to meet this deadline to finish my book, uh, which is about the year 2020, COVID, uh, how millennials are screwed over in this country, my entire life the past 40 years, the neoliberal turn, how capitalism is killing us and how we all need to be socialists. So there's a lot to cover and I really, I'm really down to the wire, but hopefully that'll all be produced within the next couple of weeks. Uh, is it, are you doing interviews for the book or is it, or is it like, or is it like sign language by Seinfeld? That's just a <laughs> collection of your, what's the deal with jokes? <laughs> I got that book. I was so disappointed. And he's just released a new one, isn't it? Which is the same shit, isn't it? Isn't it like he's fucking set lists? He just hit print on his routine, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, when are you going to make B-Movie 2, Jerry? We're all hanging out for it. His new book, I heard about it, it sounds, it sounds bizarre. Anyway, um, uh, no, I, it's all original stuff. I'm trying to sum up and explain my political education over the past four years, which really does uh, involve some pretty deep diving uh, research over, you know, the, um, uh, the, the accord in the 1980s and uh, Hex and superannuation and franken credits i'm trying to write about all that shit and make it funny uh but i'm also talking to lots of different people across the political spectrum and um you know mainly focused on yeah millennials and how young people have been consistently shafted particularly you know it all comes back inevitably to the howard years in that period over the turn of the millennium when um yeah shit got real Mm, (laughs) they really really pulled up the um, ladder behind them, the old boomers. So, uh, How do you reckon, um, you probably get asked this a lot, but how do you reckon Tonightly would be covering uh, the pandemic? And God, even what happened in America this, this week. <laughs> we'd, have, we'd have Greg as Mr. Oily, obviously. That would be, <laughs> he'd be our main <laughs> character. He'd be in Washington with them. <laughs> I think Greg would do a good character of him, like dressed up as the, uh, the Viking guy. I think he'd be very good. Yes, yeah, of course. Man, I hope we'd be better than Seth Meyers. I don't know if you saw Seth Meyers' monologue. Oh, his little um, seven-minute seven one, yeah. So they just said, we're not doing jokes, okay? This is such a serious, mm-hmm. terrible uh, situation that, that, that there is to be no jokes. I mean, the Seth Meyers video was literally labelled Seth Meyers calls for Donald Trump to be removed. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought... Comedy. Okay. Totally yes. couldn't get away with that. <laughs> well, no, not on the ABC. I mean, I'm trying to think, you know, well, yeah, when, when Eurydice Dixon died, we, we did make a point yeah. to make that very serious at that, at that point, and... Um, there must have been one or two other instances where we, where we recorded a serious uh, message. Well, my, th- my theory is Americans don't watch enough world news to know how normal this is. Like, they stormed the parliament in, in Hong Kong last year. This happens around the world all the time. America, welcome, welcome, to, the, welcome to the club. <laughs> yes, yes. And I just, I know hypocrisy is dead and pointing it out is pointless. But, like, these fucking Republican figures who were like, this violence was terrible. Like, you supported the Iraq war. You killed hundreds of thousands of people. What are you talking about? You love violence. You just don't want it near you. <laughs> anyway um, And I What do you think about Trump being banned from Twitter I, I think it's I think it's stupid I think it's, Oh really Or at least 
Well, it's funny. I guess if it annoys him, then sure. Mm. But the idea that some people are presenting it as some incredible victory and that we've deplatformed the most powerful man in the world who has the nuclear codes, but him not having access to Twitter anymore means that it's like, yeah, man, this is it. Cop that, Donald Trump. I just think that's that's a little bit um, silly. Well, personally, I think for everyone's mental health, it's a good thing. I know I think I'll... <laughs> People love it. These same people who are like, he's gone, had been quote tweeting him for four years and, and doing True. screenshots. And people just constantly, like, you could not move but for Donald Trump tweets. And, true, true, true. you know, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that when you have massive media companies with the power to take people off uh, those, those platforms, because these platforms like, you know, Twitter, Facebook and Google particularly, mm, mm. they really are the public square now. It's not like they're private. Mm. People say they're private companies with t- terms of service. It's like, well, they're not though, are they? They're, they're where mm. we all talk and debate and putting tweets out there is, is kind of an L- a freedom of speech issue, I think. I know. From, I a, fr- yeah, from a freedom of speech issue, look, I, I can't analyse it objectively because I hate Trump and I'm glad he's off Twitter. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, so look, you know, if I mean, it was like, if Mark fucking Ruffalo tweeted, "Ban Trump to save save democracy." Okay, so right. in order to save democracy, Donald Trump had to be removed from Twitter. Um, and I just, I don't know, that just seems a bit a bit much to me. Oh, I mean, yeah, if it was if it was Bernie Sanders saying "fight the power" or something, you know, what if Bernie got got banned? I would be like, "This is a this is a crime against freedom of speech." But because it's Trump, I'm like, "Good stuff." I'm sleeping tonight. <laughs> He's gone now. Um, before we go, 20, uh, 2021, is everything just on hold this year? Have you got any gigs or tours coming up or are you just going to be writing? What, what's anything to plug for this year or is, is, is everything kind of on hold as, yes, it, as it was last year? <laughs> it's still very TVC. My plan at this stage is to still do a show at the Adelaide Fringe Festival and the Melbourne Comedy Festival, whatever forms they may take. Is, Me- is Melbourne um, definitely definitely back? We don't know yet. Who knows? It's happening. It's a very it's a very uh, fluid registration process. Um, I don't know uh, where it, it is. We haven't announced that, but it's, it's on around. Zoom. And <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, I hope not. I hope not. Gigs, uh, you know, gigs are happening around the place, and um, yeah, gig, gigs are happening. So wherever you can, get out there and support your local comedians, please. They desperately need your laughter and your money. Brilliant. Thanks, Tom. And hopefully Sydney will open up again to live comedy soon and we'll have we'll have some uh, some things on up here and uh, we'll see you up here. Uh, brilliant. Thanks again. Happy New Year. Thanks, Dill. Happy New Year, everybody. Yay. Okay, that's News Fighters for today. Great to listen back to that old interview with Tom Ballard from January, the week of the Capitol riots when Trump was president. Remember that guy? Oh, my goodness. And uh, don't forget to check out Tom Ballard's show. We are all in this at the Melbourne and Sydney Comedy Festivals. I'll put the link in the show notes. Join us next week for a brand new episode. But in the meantime, don't forget to follow and subscribe on your podcasting apps or on YouTube or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. As always, the email is podcast at newsfighters.com. Or if you'd like to buy me a coffee, buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash newsfighters. That's all for now. Keep fighting and see you next week. This is News Fighters, where we fight the news so you don't have to. Did you know they make... 
toy smartphones for babies now? What is that? My little dick pic? I don't know. <laughs> hey guys, it's Cameron James from the Total Reboot podcast. Just letting you know that I'm doing an hour comedy show at the Sydney Comedy Festival April 29 to May 1 at the absolutely marvellous Enmore Theatre. It's in a smaller room, but that's not important. Book at sydneycomedyfest.com.au. There is limited seating, so please book early, baby. Bye.